0: We continue a sermon series entitled, The Greatest Sermon Series Ever, which makes me ask the question, what in the world am I doing up here? Uh, This is not, first of all, the normal way that we title our sermon series is. It's not about uh, great preachers. It's not about, oh man, I've I've come to kind of despise this term, great communicators. Uh, This uh, thing that we're doing right now uh, in, in preaching the Word is not about being great communicators. there's This sermon series is more than a little bit tongue-in-cheek. The greatest sermon series ever is where we're mostly inviting a number of our friends to come and and join us and preach a sermon that has been particularly impactful in their life, in their ministry, and come and share with us. In the past two weeks, we had the opportunity to have uh, Ryan Fast and Joel Fair join us. Uh, In the coming weeks, I can't tell you how Much I anticipate Ryan Armstrong joining us next week, a precious brother. Part of it is, is, I'll be honest, maybe a little bit selfish. I just want you to know some of my friends, and I want to let let you hear how how God communicates through these people and the way that God has shaped them. I want you to know Ryan, and I want you to know the word that he has to come and preach. And then in the next week, Brad Jones is going to be joining us, and I am so anticipate his being here with us and opening up the Word. So I hope that you're anticipating it as well. I have another reason uh, why I've, this is, for me, the greatest sermon series ever, because for four times in one month, I get to sit in a chair and listen to the Word preached. Now that's a good sermon series where I actually get to sit and listen, and receive. I'm thankful for it. It is the greatest sermon series ever. But this morning I'm going to share something that at first glance might seem a little bit out of the ordinary for us. I know it's not what the preaching at Cross Point Coast is known for, but this morning I want to preach a sermon that is a very pragmatic sermon. It's imminently practical. It has even, all right, bear with me here, a six-point application. At the end of a message. This isn't something that Cross Point Coast is known for, but here it is. It's a sermon about the knowability of God. Let me suggest to you that to know God is the most basic thing about the Christian religion. Most basic. That that all that is pragmatic, that's all that's practical, all that's life-changing about this faith flows from this most basic thing, that we can actually know our God. That we can actually know our Maker and our Redeemer. Now, let's consider the things that we think are most basic to life. The things that we, in our culture, in our circumstance, in our county perhaps, what are the abilities, the talents about which we we try to build our lives and that really become our Boast, I would suggest to you that uh, intelligence is one of the primary things that we tend to hold on to in our culture. Let's think about it. We live in the space coast. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not, I must not be all that intelligent because I didn't know that before moving here. I, I didn't know that I was moving to an area filled with people with way more education than I'll ever have. How, how many in our county are engineers and teachers? Okay, intelligence is, and education is a big deal in our county. And then when I'm at Starbucks and I ask a person's occupation, when all the engineers and teachers are at work actually doing stuff, who do I find? I find it financial advisors and business owners. And it turns out that not only is education a big deal, but wealth is a very big deal in Brevard County. It is a bit of a boast. And then, what's the last major occupation that remains? Now, there's lots of things that you can do in Brevard County, but let me suggest that the third major o- occupation is health care. We do everything that we can to preserve our strength. We have special diets. We have fitness gyms on every corner. We have some of the biggest hospitals that I've ever seen in my life. They're like monuments in our communities. So we have this education, we have a pursuit of wealth, and we have the pursuit of our bodily health as, as really building blocks, the most pragmatic, the most practical realities uh, that exist in our county. But let's consider what it is to know God. I want to draw your attention over to Jeremiah chapter 9. Love it if you would turn with me there. We're going to be on a couple passages this morning. But we're going to begin there. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning at verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in, in the earth for these things, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. To know our God, that is our boast. What do we know about our God? What do we know about Him? It's not just that we know that there is a God. We know that He is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things the Lord delights. Our boast is so much more than that we know that there is a God. It's a dangerous thing to claim anything else. But we can actually know who God actually is, we can enter into fellowship with Him. We can know our God. What if that was the most basic building block of our county? What if that was the most fundamental thing about our lives, that we would boast, I know the Lord. I know what He's like. I understand and I know Him. But let me suggest that the greatest knowledge An even greater boast is not that knowledge which we possess about our God, that the greatest knowledge is to know that we are possessed by our God. The greatest knowledge is not merely that we know God, but that we are known by God. You see, that's what Jeremiah 9 tells us, is he tells us that what we know about God is God's work toward us. Right? What do we know about God? What does Jeremiah open up for us? Steadfast love toward us. Right? Justice toward us. Righteousness is what we know about God is he is good toward us. This is knowing God. It's to know his way. To know his disposition. It's the greatest thing that we can know, that we are known by the steadfast love of our God. We know that God who has revealed himself to us in the word, in Christ, and by his Holy Spirit through regeneration, through rebirth, is for us in his steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Now, step back for a moment. Pause. You may have missed something. Are you listening? You can know your God. You, I mean, you're all at church, right? You're doing the religious thing. So that's obvious. Of course we can. It's, that's not obvious. He's God. You're not. This is astounding. It is the greatest thing for which we ought, we ought not take it for granted. Here's something that my father wrote for me in a Bible that he gave me shortly before my ordination. A gift from my father. Uh, my dad has given me so many Bibles along the way. I was looking for this one. I actually couldn't find it this morning. And um, in all of the Bibles that my dad's given me and some of the, the Bibles that my dad has given to himself that he's gone out and purchased, he always writes in it. And and always on that on that page in a Bible where you write, you know, who it's from or whatever. He'll, even in a Bible that he's purchased for himself, he'll write, uh, from Jesus Christ or, or from my Father. And that's true. It doesn't matter who buys you a Bible, it doesn't matter which company it comes from. It comes as a gift from the Father. The only book on earth from outside of creation. Years ago, my dad took me to uh, IU, to uh, Indiana University Library. It's one of the most beautiful libraries in the country, as far as I know, all right? And he took me in there, and he took me on a hunt, and he said, I want, I want you to find a book in this massive library that's true. And we went looking, and he kept pulling books off the shelf. This took like a half an hour, and we went to all the different floors of the library, and we're pulling books off the shelf. And he's saying, is this true? We went to the philosophy section, and we went to the science, and biology, and physics, and and self-help, and novels, and all of these various sections in this library. And he says, I want you to find a book that's true. And many of these are helpful. Many of these contain things in them that are valuable. But none of them can we know that they're true. Let's say he writes the only book on earth from outside of creation, breaking in so that I might know his son, Jesus Christ. What is the purpose for which God has broken into creation? That we wouldn't just have a library filled with our thoughts about things that are higher than ourselves. Not only God, physics is higher than me. I don't get it. Any of you have tried to take those classes. I find it amazing. But it's higher than me. So We could fill a whole library with things that are higher than us. But why has God broken in to give us a revelation about physics and biology? About philosophy? that I might know His Son, Jesus Christ, and gain a deeper understanding and knowledge of Him. Here's what we find about our God. He is not, this my dad. He is not ashamed to call me brother. Here's what that means. He's not my dad. My dad is my brother. And this is a far more practical, basic thing. Some of you here will say, I didn't build my life on wealth. I, I didn't build my life on my education or my career. built my life on the, the most important things. Family, of course. But let me suggest to you that even family is not the most basic thing. Even family passes away, or we, Lord, we pray, passes up to a greater thing. To be family with our God. God our Father. Christ our brother. At the heart of a sermon on God's knowability is the fact that God has drawn us in to be known, to be connected to Him in relationship with Him, and in that we find our connection to one another. This is very pragmatic. It's the most practical, applicable sermon that I can imagine. It's a sermon about the most basic things of the Christian faith. You can know your God. Now, I want to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. Heavenly Father, You are so kind to us. You are so good. Your steadfast love is new and fresh every morning in Your mercy. Your justice is the justice. Your righteousness is pure and perfect. And You know what we need in every moment. And you've drawn near to us so that we actually matter in the universe. Because we know our God. We don't just know you, we know you. We're known by you. God, I pray that this this morning and the remainder of our time together that you would, you would draw near to us by your word, making yourself known, breaking into our darkness, granting us light, in your word in Christ us by your Holy Spirit, work in the midst of the congregation today. We pray, this is our dependence, our need. If we would know you, it would be because you've made yourself known to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, the great revelation of the Father. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We begin in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, because it has this incredible little phrase. Jeremiah 29.13 You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This morning's message is a call to, to seek the Lord and find Him. This sentence is the great hope and the promise of our God. But let us not miss the context. The, this is the, the great hope and promise of our God to a people who are in exile. If you'll flip back Just a little bit to the beginning of the chapter, you kind of see that. This is a a people who have been carried off into exile in Babylon, and Jeremiah is writing a letter to them that they could actually know their God, even though they are under his judgment in exile. The people of Judah and Jerusalem, they've been carried into exile in Babylon, and they've been carried there because of their sin. They have broken fellowship with their God, and God comes to them with this hope that though they will be in exile for 70 years, friends, that is long enough for an entire generation to live and to die. 70 years. A severe judgment. And yet, in the midst of that judgment, he sends a letter by his prophet Jeremiah to say, you can still know me. Seek me. And you will find me. The purpose of the exile in Babylon actually to bring the people back to God. When all is said and done, they were exiled from the land to be given back to God, to be rescued from their rebellion. They could only be brought back to the land when they knew their God. The object of their hope and future, if you look at verse 12, they will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's their Hope, the great hope and promise of God for a people in exile was that they could know their God. That they could seek Him and find Him. But He tells them, you must seek with your whole heart. Well, what does that look like? There is a work to be done in knowing God. He's telling us this. He's telling us up front. Those who find Him are those who seek Him. According to God's own sovereign design, yes, he is the one who is making himself known. In his time, by means of his grace, this is necessary because he's higher than us, so he has to, with the word condescend, he has to come down and make himself known. But he's saying in this sentence that I'm coming down and I'm making myself known. Seek me, you will find me. There's a knowledge of God in our religion the knowledge of God in our culture. But have we actually sought Him? Many know the name of Jesus. But how many seek the name that they know? Many know the name. A few seek Him. How many have replaced Him with their own God, their true God, their boast in intelligence or wealth or health? family. And so I ask you, what do you seek? What do you seek? What is the most basic thing in your life? What you seek after, you're gonna find some version of it. Even if it's fleeting and passing away, you very well may find intelligence in your education. You may find wealth in your occupation. You may find health in your fitness and nutrition But all those things belong to the world, and they will pass away with it. See, the worst thing possible is that you would seek these things of the world and find them. That's bad news. That's not gospel news. That's bad news, because what you find will pass away. But when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find God. Do you seek God? Yes. With all your heart, right? Years ago, I was in a Christian bookstore, and there were a bunch of devotional Bibles, which can be very, very helpful a variety of ways. But I found in this particular Christian bookstore, the title of the Bible was One Minute Devotional Bible. One Minute Devotional Bible. Now, this was before the age of, of, you know, smartphone games. But is there a stupid little game that takes less than one minute? One minute devotional Bible? Seek the Lord with your whole heart. Does the Lord mean simply in the fringes of your life for one minute and then move on to the busyness of your life? That you're supposed to take a break for your life and seek Him and then go back into what you're actually seeking? Perhaps you remember a time when you sought God. I would encourage you, think back. Maybe you remember a time. Maybe it was a sweet season in college. For, for many, that's often the case. A sweet season of seeking the Lord with brothers and sisters. Perhaps you were saved around that time and there was a sweetness in gathering with the saints in college and dorm rooms and singing to the Lord. Perhaps it was just after you were saved. And you knew what it was to be rescued. Perhaps it was in a season in which the Lord intervened and rescued you, rescued your marriage or rescued your family from some tragedy from some sin or circumstance i 'm acutely aware of how many times I've, I've met someone in a season of need right? and I meet them the person begins to hang around the church, our services, and they hang around our our community groups they begin to make friends over coffee and reading the scriptures even together for more than a minute right but then when the season of suffering passes and they get their lives kind of back on track they go right back to their old ways reverting to what they really sought in their hearts the whole time you see they didn't meet cross point coast or the gospel that we preach or any one of our partners because they were seeking the lord they were actually seeking approval or comfort or control. And when they got it, they went right back to those things. When this happens, I wonder, were they ever actually seeking God? Or were they just seeking relief from some trouble so that they could go back to seeking the things of this world? I would ask you to examine your hearts today. Do you want the Lord? What if that's all you got? Could you say, say, give me Jesus, you can have all the rest. Forgive me, Jesus. If you seek the Lord with your whole heart, if you do, you will find Him. And you will have Him forever. You will have God. You will not only know Him, you'll you'll get to enjoy Him. There's a wonderful illustration by John Piper. He invites us to consider a jar of honey. Can you see the honey? Right. Wonderful jar of honey. And you're asking, well... I mean, I'm just not standing right next to it. Is it really a jar of honey? See, knowing the difference is knowing whether this is just a bunch of brown stuff in a jar because there's a label on the jar that says so, and knowing that it's actually honey because you've tasted it. You saw its sweetness. You say, that's satisfying. You see, there's a difference in knowing something about God, and it's a different thing to actually enjoy Him. Yep, there it says it right there on the label. That's honey. But even a dead heart can know something about God. But the heart that is alive says that tastes like honey, and I'd know that sweetness anywhere. But for the dead heart, it says, tastes like goo in my mouth. I'm going back to substitutes and artificial sweeteners. You know what the difference is? The one who is alive can taste the sweetness of the Lord, and the one who is dead has no sense and no joy in it. The one who is made alive can taste that Christ is sweet and so begin to savor and and to treasure him. Everything else is darkness compared to that light, everything else is bitter compared to that sweetness. This is what you find when when you seek and find Jesus. So I would ask you, what are you pursuing? What sweetness are you seeking? The things that will never satisfy your soul. What does your checkbook reveal about what you are seeking and trying to find and bring into your house for satisfaction? We could ask the question many ways. But what are you seeking? It should not surprise us that if you seek the world, you may gain the whole world, but you'll lose your soul. But what should surprise us, what should amaze us, is that if you seek your God, you can have Him and gain Him forever. So what does that look like? What does it look like to seek God? I would have us turn over to Colossians. Feel free to use the table of contents and find where this little letter is in the New Testament there. Wonderful letter about knowing God. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read just a couple verses. Verse 15 and 19 and 20. Colossians 1, 15. He, this is speaking about Jesus Christ. He is the image of, Of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, the blood of the cross, the work of Christ in redemption, is what reconciles us to a knowledge of God. Seek the Lord with your whole heart. That's what the prophet Jeremiah said. But what are we seeking? We're seeking him who has been made known, Jesus, the image of God. You've heard it sweet. You've gotten a taste of him. But have you said, no, I don't want a taste. I want the whole jar. I want to take him home. I want to enjoy him. I want I know where the sweetness can be found. It is in the Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. There's a quotation by Lady Julian of Norwich. Now before you think I read super broadly, I have no idea who that is. This was quoted in a book by A.W. Tozer, which is almost a requirement. You have to quote Tozer if you're going to talk about the attributes of God because he wrote a book called The Attributes of God. Lady Julian of Norwich says this, where Jesus appeareth, the blessed Trinity is understood. Now, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. This is true. But God is not divided. If you've seen the Christ, you've seen the Father. Doesn't Jesus say that? Here's Tozer. Jesus Christ is the full, complete manifestation of the Trinity. He has he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We've been told that those who seek God will find him. And then we've been told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God. The message is clear. What? Seek Jesus. And you will find God, can you say, as you think of this past week, can you say, I have sought Christ who has made himself known to me. If not, there's a work to do before him today to seek him in prayer and confession and and a plea. God, make yourself known to me. Incline my heart to know you. Loosen the ties of this world from me. I preached this sermon 10 years ago. It was our first summer as a brand new church plant, one of the earliest sermons we ever shared together. And I, I just asked myself in this past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about this message. Has knowing God worked its way into the fullness of our life as a church? Does that mark our labor? Do we look like a people who seek to know God? More importantly, the reason why I chose this sermon on this particular week is so I could spend the week asking myself, do I seek God? Do I desire to know Him above every other treasure? Is knowing God my greatest boast? For there's a a fearful reality and a warning for us here. If knowing God means nothing for the way that you live, if there's no sweetness in knowing God if there's no practical transformation in it it would seem that God is satisfied if it would seem that God is satisfied to simply leave you alone to carry on as you will largely apart from any real concern for him let me suggest you don't know God it's not how he is it's not what he's revealed and it's not the way he leaves us To know God is the most basic thing of the Christian religion. And all that is pragmatic, practical, and life-changing flows from that basic reality. Life isn't about figuring out how to live your most comfortable life. It's not figuring out how to live with the greatest ease and the least suffering. If you know Christ, you know the cross of His suffering. There aren't simply, it's not just simply three easy steps to this thing or that thing that isn't Christ. It's about the infinite glory and the wonder of the manifold, many-sided jewel that is the glory of our God. That's the whole thing. And in Him, we have everything. So I would offer to you six implications about knowing God. We'll walk through these quickly. The first implication of knowing our God, and this may sound redundant, is we know our maker. Along the way, when, I, when I've discovered sin in my heart, and it's not like this great, terrible search to find some little inkling of sin off in some corner somewhere, when I'm wrestling with sin in my life, one of the things that is a recurring theme of prayer is God why should I leave my sin behind? I don't sin on accident. I sin because I want to. There's something I wanted there. Why should I leave it behind? And a recurring answer from the scriptures and from the reminder of the Spirit in my own heart is You can know me. What are you seeking in this thing? You can know your maker. And he presses upon me the the glory of that reality. You can know momentary comfort, control, some momentary pleasure or power. Or you can know me forever. And friends, in that moment in prayer, that's enough. It does its work. Secondly, we know our Savior. We don't just know our maker, we know our savior. If God had no interest in being known, in being in relationship with his redeemed, we could have been saved from hell and yet not know God. I want you to think for a moment. What would this look like? Tozer helps with this. He says the atonement, the atonement, the means by which God has reconciled man with himself. The atonement, of course, is the objective work of Christ. It's what he did on the cross before any of us was now living, of us now living, we're living. It's something he did alone in the dark. Justified persons may be no better off for their justification if that's all that happened to them. If all that you are is forgiven of sin, because justification is a legal thing, They may stand before a court and be declared innocent of any crime, but it doesn't change them. You see, the reality of the gospel is when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did so as a righteous man, the only righteous man having fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. Why is a righteous man on a cross? Whose sins are he dying for? Mine. So that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But imagine if that was God's only word toward us. Hey, no condemnation for you. Now sit down and go away. Not angry at you. I I don't want any relationship with you, but we just ain't got no beef. You know? Imagine if that was God's only relationship. But that's not what he purchased. That's not the fullness of the gospel. You see, we are not in some infinite Saturday. We've seen glorious Sunday morning resurrection. The one who died for us took up life for us so that we might live with him. And they might not just forgive our sin, but grant us his righteousness so that we could live in the presence of the holy God. This is the fullness of the gospel. We can not only know our God, not only be forgiven of sin, but we can know our Savior. The very essence of this new life isn't only that you don't go to hell, but you can know your God. It's what, why John Piper asks, would you be happy If you got to go to heaven with you and all your little buddies and God wasn't there, friend, that heaven doesn't exist. The most precious reality of our salvation is that we can know our Redeemer. Third implication. We've only begun to know. If you know God, if you know something about God, if you know something about his glory, his greatness, his love, his steadfast mercy, You've only begun to know Job 11.7. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It's higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Are you going to measure our God and find the end of him? you can catch catch a glimpse of his glorious sight but you haven't seen all of him job 26:14 behold these are but the outskirts of his ways and how small a whisper do we hear of him but the thunder of his power who can understand there will come a day in the new heavens and in the new earth in which I will say, I wish I could preach that sermon again. <laughs> I didn't even scratch the surface. Oh, and it was a long one, too, but I didn't go on long enough. It will take eternity for us to come to know and appreciate and glorify and enjoy our God. We're fully known, but we've only begun to know him. Here's how John Howe puts it. And stick with me. This isn't the easiest language, but it's beautiful. The notion, therefore, we can hence form of his glory, some some conception we can have of his glory, is only such as we may have of a large volume, a great big book with a brief synopsis, of a spacious country by a little landscape. Oh, it's beautiful. It's caught our attention. It's a great work of art. But there's something more to be known. You see... Why we have to seek the Lord with our whole heart? Because there's so much more of Him to be known and enjoyed and to enter into fellowship with Him. Fourth, man, this is immediate, like just waiting to be said next. If you come to know Him who is infinite, we worship. What an implication. The knowledge of God is why we worship. Because we can know Him, we can respond to Him with praise. Our worship itself is a pursuit of, of the knowledge of God. You know, some of our songs have big words. I know it. I see them. There's so many times I'm like, I don't know exactly what that means. Lofty ideas, big ideas that are hard to sort of sing quickly. But hey, if you already knew everything you were singing, what value of that would would that be for your instruction? See, as we worship, we are also growing in a knowledge of our God. What do we know of God? What we know, we worship him for, all the while seeking to know him more, that we might worship him more. The end of knowing God is not only to understand him, but to trust him. And as we trust him, we begin to exalt in him, so that the end of knowing God is to exalt and worship him forever and ever. And friends, that's not repetitive. That's forever and ever and ever. That's the same thing over and over again. But when God is great and he's more than you can imagine, it's not repetitive. It's always growing. It's always increasing and it's filled with wonder. Fifth, we imitate him. Again, back to Tozer. To know something in your head is one thing. To feel it in your heart is another And I think most Christians are trying to be happy without having any sense of his presence. It's like trying to have a bright day without having the sun. You know, in Wisconsin, where I lived for eight years, and then we rescued our family and fled to Florida, it's not so much that we don't have the sun up there, it's just that the sun doesn't seem to have much of an effect on things. But in Florida, where we are blessed with being closer to the sun and in direct alignment with its rays, there is no question that there is a warmth to be had in the presence of the sun. How many days... I'm grumpy when it's hot, right? I struggle with this, and, and, and I'm, I've got a shirt on, and I'm, I just took a shower, and I'm already sweating, and i kind of griping around the house, and Sandy's like, it's only 80 degrees outside. And you walk outside, and yes, it's only 80 degrees outside, but there's a sun, and it's 110. Because to be in the presence of the sun, you feel its warmth. You don't just know it's there. You know what it is to be in its presence. Again, Tozer, this desire, this yearning to be near to God is in fact yearning to be like Him. Therefore, be imitators of God. So many of the letters unpack who God is in in great doctrine and teaching and significance all about our God and then it turns near the end of the book and it says, therefore, and normally something like this, be imitators of God of him. I told you who he is. I told you how you can know him. Now be imitators of him. Here's what I miss of God in my sin. I miss the joy of his presence as I hide in my guilt and shame. Why did Jesus know such sweet fellowship with the Father? Because he, with his whole heart, his whole soul, his mind, his strength, sought the ways of the Father. And he got to enjoy the ways of the Father. He lived his life in the presence of the warmth of that glory. But I'm far from the enjoyment of his presence. Therefore, be imitators of him and discover the beauty and the warmth of his ways. One more time, Tozer. How are we going to know what God is like so that we may know whether we're like God? The answer is, God is like Christ. For Christ is God manifest to mankind. By looking at our Jesus, we will know what God is like. We will know what we have to be like to experience the unbroken, continuous presence of God. And Jesus is one that they often couldn't find him. He just kind of ran away. Is he a busy man? Got a lot to do? He was with his father. Friends, I think that is the number one thing that we should imitate about our Christ. Sixth implication. We make him known. If you know him, you make him known. We were created not just as an individual human soul. We're created for relationships. We're created to be in fellowship with one another. We're redeemed not only as a soul known by God, but we are redeemed as a people who are brought into fellowship with one another by that redemption. Colossians again, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does what do we know about God? He's accomplished redemption. What is this redemption accomplished? Peace, reconciliation. If you know God, you'll make him known. We who know Christ in our congregation, we make him known to one another. In our community, in our networks of relationships, we we make him known in those places to which he sent us. This is the whole purpose of God sending Christ in the first place. What do we get when we get Christ? Salvation. Yeah, yeah, in a minute. We get to know God. The first work of the gospel is revelation. And if if you've known him, make him known. God has made himself known to a people who make God known. The mission of God is to make himself known in Christ. And the mission of the church is the mission of our God to make Christ known, specifically We make him known by making known the reconciliation that he has purchased by the blood of Christ and the life that he's purchased by his resurrection. As we come to a close, I would offer this. I think there's actually a seventh implication for us. It's not just because I don't like to end on six, all right? I think that the abiding, it's almost like underneath and above and all around, all of the other implications, faith. If you can know your God, you have to trust him. If you're going to seek him, you have to believe that there is some good about him. For some, that faith this morning would be new. It would be a new faith to say, you know what? I've sought other things in my sin. But I believe this morning, what you're saying, Pastor, that there is something good about our God and that he would forgive me of my sin and give me himself. That would be a new faith, and I call you to it this morning. And then you get to walk in all of the joy of all of the implications of knowing your maker and now your redeemer. But friends, the the call to faith is the same for all of us. We must always, day after day, wake again and new. I believe that knowing God is my good today. Do you believe that? Like early in the morning, when waking up does not feel like a good thing today? (laughs) Getting out of bed when it's so cold and cozy, like this morning? Do you believe that knowing God is your good for today? Friends, that is called... And out of that faith, we seek and we know him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. You who have made us have no requirement. Nothing is is upon you to make you make yourself known to us. It is only of grace. It is only gift. It is only that we we know something about your steadfast love. We know something about your mercy. We know something about your grace. We know something about your kindness, your condescension, the nature of our God, that we know you at all. We know that you're generous and that you're giving, even giving of a knowledge of yourself. Lord, I pray that you would work faith in the whole of those gathered today. For some, faith for the first time, to confess a need for you. To cry out for the grace of the cross that you have died in their place. And you've secured a great life of knowing you for them. And for all that this is our hope. To know our God. Relieve us of these sins that we want. But will never satisfy. And give us a knowledge of yourself. And a sweetness of the, the aroma, the presence of knowing you. Lord, we trust you for these things in Jesus' name, the name that if we would seek, we would know, and in knowing, we would know our God. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.